Lions fans. This is the podcast you've been waiting for. The show where the Kool-Aid runs blue. Faces turn red. And rose-colored glasses never go out of style. This is the Detroit Lions podcast. Your Detroit Lions and Reddit connection. And now... The only two guys laughing when they tell a joke, Chris and the Riz. Hey, hi Lions fans. Welcome to the Detroit Lions podcast. This is episode 414. The Detroit Lions history featuring Bill Keenis. This is the official Detroit Lions podcast for Reddit. I am, of course, your dashing host, Chris, and that is not Jeff with me. <laughs> no. That is world famous the man with more camera time and fewer lines <laughs> in Detroit Lions history than anybody else, Bill uh, Keenest. How you doing, Bill? So glad, great to have you on the show, man. Likewise, Chris. Uh, really, really glad to be here with you. This is this is going to be a great show. This is something Lions fans, new, old, anything, are going to love. This is something that's going to give you that connection. You have that connection as a fan. You, you feel your heart connection. This is going to give you a brain connection to this team that yeah. you haven't had. These stories that Bill has, he, he's got more stories than we've got time, but you're just going to love this show. I promise you. We're going to talk about, yeah. we do an in, in-depth look at Lions history. We're going to talk about uh, his role as a team historian, his longtime work as the senior vice president of communications for the team. Uh, the fact that he's now a national game rep for the NFL. What does that mean? Some of his stuff at the Super Bowls over time. Uh, mm-hmm. He's also the co-host of the Gridiron Wrap on WJR during the, the regular season. Make sure you tune in for that. We've got a whole lot to talk about today, Bill. Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. <laughs> yes, sir. Let's kick this off and break it down. All right. We always get out of the gate and get everybody excited, and then we have to do a quick read. So I want to yeah. talk about our training camp listener appreciation party at yeah. – the Uptown Grill in Commerce Township on July 30th. Join us. Jerry Jacobs will be there. Dan Miller will be there. Anybody who wants to show up can be there. We're going to have dinner included. Tickets are $35. A couple other special guests we're working on right now. Go to party.detroitlionspodcast.com. Get your tickets. And, of course, we're going to announce the big global event that everybody can take part in. It's a competition. Teams of four. You'll get all the details. We've been teasing it for a little bit at that party. Live show from uptown grill join us party.detroitlionspodcast.com all right with all that out of the way housekeeping place is clean i think it's it's presentable for bill thanks bill i mean (laughs) we've been the longest running detroit lions podcast out there but right i mean we feel pretty proud of that we just crossed into our eighth year now that's nothing that's nothing (laughs) compared 41 years of a storied career bill this is this is impressive Right. Well, I, I, I tell people, Chris, that I started when I was 10 years old. So I just want to get that in there. But no, this, yeah, this will be my, my 41st year in, uh, in the NFL. Um, I was in the USFL for a year and the NHL for part of a season back home in Pittsburgh. But yeah, 41 years. Holy moly. It goes by quick though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does. It does. The, 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 the more time goes, the faster it flies. And it's, yeah. It's, it's just when you're ready, to, you know a little something, and you're ready to enjoy right. it, right? And now it's like, wait, yeah. hold on. Um, let's talk about your career ahead of your time with the Lions, because it wasn't like you just rolled in as the the master of communications and you know the coach's best friend. 
Mm-hmm. Or uh, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sometimes not. Yeah. Let's um, talk about what you did ahead of the Lions and kind of give people a taste of who, who Bill Keenest is. Well, I, I had the, the good fortune um, of growing up in Pittsburgh um, in, the, in the 60s and 70s. And the 70s, I mean, I can't imagine another city, another area having the success from a sports standpoint as the Pittsburgh area did in the, in the 70s. I mean, the, the Steelers were the dominant team winning four Super Bowls, dominant team in the NFL. The Pirates bookended the decade with World Series championships in 71 and 79. Pitt won a football NCAA national title in 76 with Tony Dorsett. I didn't say Dorsett. I said Dorsett. <laughs> um, and the Penguins were starting to make some noise. And, uh, and of course, at that time, high school football may have been as big as any of the pro teams in the, in the Mon Valley, you know, with, with uh, Danny Marino and Joe Namath. I, I say I played against name, uh, Marino. I really didn't. I sat on the bench. I'm not Marino, Montana. I'm oh. getting all confused. But I, uh, I watched Montana throw four touchdown passes against us when I was a sophomore. So just, just growing up in that era, in that, you know, culture, um, I know impacted me. I became a big sports fan at a, at a young age. And then my initial, my initial thought was to get into your business, the media side of it. Um, I had the good fortune to go into Ohio University, which had a great journalism program. Um, and then I got involved in the athletic department. I got involved with, with uh, the newspaper, the school paper, the radio station, TV. And then I, I realized that I was more cut out for being a part of a team sure. than covering a team. So I, uh, Ohio U still has the best master's program in the country in sports administration. Um, so I applied, got accepted. Um, and then I had the good fortune of doing my internship at Duke, where the first person I met on campus was Mike Krzyzewski. Wow. And, uh, and it, was, it was a time when Mike wasn't what he ultimately became. It was uh, after his second year. And believe it or not, people were, you know, whispering if he's the guy or not. But I got to know Coach K. I got to know Mike and his family very well. And, and um, just watching how he did things were, was remarkable. And, uh, <clears throat> and then when I was at Duke, you know, you know, some call it luck, some call it divine inf- intervention. But uh, a number of things happened that led me to make a phone call to Washington, the Redskins at the time. And it was uh, regarding a former Duke player who was going into the Duke Hall of Fame and had played a, a season with Washington. Well, that led to a conversation, and it ultimately led to me interviewing for a job in the PR department, which I which I got. So um, I started there in uh, the middle of the season, and then the next year uh, we won the Super Bowl. Uh, wow. Joe Gibbs' second year. So here I went from Mike Krzyzewski to Joe Gibbs, right? And I will say this. I don't think there's been a greater sportsman than Joe Gibbs. What he did in football and NASCAR is unprecedented, and I can't imagine it would ever be matched. And and the thing I got from Joe, I was there for parts of three years, was that everything matters. Everything that touches the team, everything that touches the team better be right. And I tried to take that mantra, if you will, into my job, um, you know, throughout my career. 
So I, uh, I had the job with Washington and then I had a chance to go back home, back to Pittsburgh, uh, and be the PR director for the USFL Pittsburgh Maulers. People thought I was crazy, right? Leaving a Super Bowl champ, right? Um, to go to the USFL. And it was an amazing experience. We had the Heisman Trophy winner, Mike Rozier. It was incredible. And I learned a lot and I loved it. Um, and then, it, it, like I said, it lasted a year. The team, once the NFL, once the USFL announced it was going to the, the fall, um, and our former president had a lot to do with that as the owner of the New Jersey Generals, um, then we knew that Pittsburgh, we, we shared three rivers with the Steelers. That wasn't going to work. So the team merged with Philadelphia. And then I had the good fortune, the great fortune of uh, getting asked to come to Detroit and interview for an assistant PR job in 1985. And, uh, you know, thankfully it worked out. And uh, from 85 until 2001, I was with the Lions. Wow. That's that's really something. Now, all that time, I mean, Joe Gibbs, you didn't get you didn't get pulled into the racing. <laughs> he didn't drag you yeah. with him all that time. And and I have to say also I have to refer back to your uh, your time at Ohio. My co-host is also an Ohio Bobcat and, and oh, wonderful. is, is yeah. really going to be bummed that he missed out on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But all that time, all that history, you come with the Lions, a team yeah. that has its own rich history. I mean, this yeah. is 1985, I believe, when you came yeah. to the Lions, right? Right. Um, rich history. Um, all the things that make up a storied franchise, except mm-hmm. potentially the wins, right? And and that's a, that's yeah. a sore spot. By the same token, you know, I, when I lived in Southern California, people would say you're a Lions fan. I'm like, yeah, that's how you know I like yeah. football, right? I mean, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. then they'd tell me it was bad football, but whatever. You don't have the wins, but you have everything else. You have the players yeah. along the way. You know, the Billy Sims, the Barry Sanders, all those things. And we'll yeah. talk about them. But how has it affected? I mean, from the 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 just missing that piece, which is big in sport, but right. how has that affected ownership, the coaches, the people that have been part of the team? Because yeah. it feels like at times there's a cloud and it's and, and there's just bad yeah. luck, right? Can you kind of right. put your finger on on some of that for us? You know what? Um obviously uh it's a it's a combination of a lot of factors. Um I uh and I, I growing up even in Pittsburgh and, and when I was with Washington, we played the Lions in a playoff game in '82, um, and uh, it was our first game uh, in the playoffs. That was a strike year. And what I remember about that game, the Lions dominated us in the first quarter. Okay, um, they got the ball went right down the field. Billy fumbled. Okay, mm-hmm. we can't move the ball. We punt. They go right down the field again, and Eric Kippel throws an out that a uh, defensive back for Washington, Jarris White, intercepts and goes 77 yards for a touchdown, game over. After that, it was over, okay? Um, but I remember vividly, vividly watching the Lions uh, 49ers playoff game from Candlesick on, on New Year's Eve 1983 in my office at the Pittsburgh Ballers. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and my gosh, you know, how far? That far? Right. You know, the field goal, Eddie Murray misses a 43 yard field goal. It's like, holy crap. And and in that game, it was remarkable. It just showed how good. And I say good the lines were because I think Gary Danielson threw five interceptions in that game. (laughs) I mean, when you're 
giving the ball away like that and you have a chance to win it yeah. on the last play. Mm-hmm. Billy had a big game in that in that game, yeah. uh, rushed for well over 100 yards. So I get to the Lions. There was a coaching change to Daryl Rogers. Um, and it was interesting in the early years. Um, you know, we, we, we were just average. I mean, uh, it, we were. I mean, Daryl's first year, we got off to a good start. And we were in the hunt till December, but then faded away. Um, the one thing about that first year, that was the season after Billy got hurt. Sims right. got hurt in Minnesota. Everybody thought Billy was coming back. Now, if he had had that injury today, he would have come back. Yeah. But um, and, and what people may or may not remember, but that 84 season, statistically, if you would prorate what Billy did in those first nine games, he would have had his best year ever. He was rolling. Yeah. And then that that old tartan turf in the Minneapolis Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome <laughs> um, and Ashley Lee Walker was the linebacker that, that – brushed against Billy uh, ended his career. And uh, and I, I, I believe, and many people, I know coaches, I know players that played against, coached against Billy, he's a Hall of Fame talent. Yeah. He is as good yeah. as there was, yeah. but that knee injury got him. So, we've, we've had him you know, on a couple of times, and he's talked about that. And the yeah. stories Billy has about his time in the NFL, he's, he's one of those guys that you just – your heart goes out to him because absolutely yeah. he's in a hall. He's a hall of famer. Yeah. He's a great personality. He's a great human being. And it was, he is a great guy. Yeah. He is a tremendous guy. Mm-hmm. And I had the good fortune of getting to know him, even though, you know, he didn't, he didn't play it down during my tenure with the team, but we, we certainly expected that he might, but unfortunately he didn't. Um, and then Daryl had three pretty uneventful years. Um, we, we had, that we went through this strike year in 87. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. I do indeed. Okay. <laughs> and I mean, that was an experience. I went through a strike in 82 with Washington, but in 82, we shut down for 57 days. There was no football. Right. Um, but in 87, the NFL decided we're going to play. We're going to sign replacement players. And, and in Detroit in particular, to be doing replacement players during a union strike. What a town to try to, to pull something well, like that off, it's right? It's funny I mean. <laughs> that you mentioned that because I remember talking to some of the players that I had good relationships with. We were about the same age back then. Right. And I, I remember saying to one in particular, I go, because all a lot of UAW members came out to the Silverdome right. and walked the line with these guys. And I go, I said, boy, that's pretty awesome. Your union brother is out and brothers and sisters are walking with you. Um, you know, you'll have to do that whenever, if they ever go on strike. And he looks at me, what are you talking about? I go, that's the union. That's the way it works, man. And then the other thing that, that I, I thought was, it, it just left an impression on me. Um, back then the players, uh, very few drove American vehicles. It was BMWs and Mercedes. And here you got the UAW, and all the cars are parked, you know, at, at the gate. And I just thought, oh, boy. But um, those were tough times to be driving. It was tough times. Detroit, but uh, yeah. I'll tell you one. Uh, we played two games at the Silverdome. The first game was against Tampa Bay. And this, and, the, and then we went to Green Bay. And then the third game was against uh, Seattle. But um, the game in Green Bay was remarkable. We lost the first game to Tampa. The game in Green Bay, we won in overtime. 
uh, Mike Prindle was the place kicker. I think he played at Toledo or one of the directional schools. It might have been Western. Um, but he kicks a field goal in overtime. And the beauty of that game was it was Green Bay, right? Mm-hmm. And at the time, the capacity was around 50,000. They actually had 37,000 people at that game, 37,000 for the game we had played the week before against Tampa, we had 7,000. Okay. (laughs) Um, It was a straight game, but the beauty of that green Bay game is it was all bleachers. Lambeau was all bleachers. People would spread out a little bit and it absolutely looked full. And for the players on both teams that experienced that, God bless them. Cause that had to be a memory of memories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the following week, we have our fight, what turned out to be our final strike game, if you will, replacement player game. We're playing Seattle. And by that time in the strike, uh, we played three games, but the strike went four weeks. The first weekend's games were canceled. So we only played 15 games that year. Um, we're playing Seattle. And by that time, veterans had started to cross the picket line because they probably realized they're not going to get what they want. They're losing paychecks. They're losing big paychecks. And every team actually but one, Washington, had veterans from the regular team cross the picket line during that strike. Mm -hmm. So we're playing Seattle, and two of the players that they had crossed the line happened to be their backup quarterback, Jeff Kemp, who was a a good, you know, journeyman-type NFL quarterback. and. Oh, by the way, Steve Largent, a Hall of Famer, <laughs> who was at that time one of the best receivers in the league. Right, right. So <laughs> we played, you know, against those two guys. And it was like, oh, my gosh. In the first half alone, I think Steve had 15 or 18 receptions. Seattle beat us like 37 to 7. To, to their credit, to Chuck Knox's credit and to Largent's credit and whoever else was in on the decision – He didn't play in the second half because, again, Chris, all the stats counted. He could have probably had 30 receptions in that game and set an all-time record that would have never even been in the same zip code with anyone else. But he came out of the game. And one of my all-time favorite quotes um, came from Daryl Rogers after the game, predictably, right? So one of the reporters, it might have been Mike O'Hara or Kurt Sylvester, or the late, great Tom Kowalski, you know, it might have been the first question. It was Daryl, obviously, you know, Steve Largent, 15 catches, 18 catches, whatever it was in the first half. You double teamed him, but did you ever think of even triple teaming him? And deadpan Daryl just looks and goes, why embarrass three guys? (laughs) (laughs) And the room cracked up, you know, it was like, oh, my gosh. Good, good, good call, Daryl. Why embarrass three guys? So, um, and uh, yeah, the strike ended after that, and then Daryl ended up having one more year or parts of one more year, eighty-eight. When uh, I think it was November twelfth, Donald Igwe Buike, a kicker for Tampa, um, kicks like a fifty-three yarder at the Silverdome on the last play of the game to beat beat us. And then I remember getting home around eight o'clock that night and Russ Thomas calls me and tells me we're going to have a change. So I get to the office and it's going to be Wayne. And uh, 
And that was an incredible journey. Um, you talk about a magical mystery tour for you Beatles out there. <laughs> Let me tell you, working with Wayne was a gem. And uh, we went to, uh, we went to um, Milwaukee for the first game. And uh, I want to tell you another story if, if, if we're okay on time. We can go as um, long as you can go. Bill. Yeah. So do you remember, remember the longtime Detroit sports fan, the brow? Yeah. Yeah. And, and those, those people listening, the brow loved all the, all the Detroit teams. He was a fascinating character. He, he looked, he dressed like a used car. I mean, very disheveled and, you know, always wore a hat and glasses and a tie that was askew. <laughs> But he was loyal, and he would show up at every game. He would have his uh, plastic bottle of, of ketchup and of mustard, and he would, you know, exhort the crowd, if you can't cut the mustard, you'll never catch up. <laughs> Just silly things like that. So um, our first game with Wayne as the head coach, Wayne made some changes to the protocols. And – Prior to Wayne being the coach, the players would drive to Metro Airport to get on the charter to go to wherever the road game was. And that's a pretty hefty drive, for one thing. And the other reality was that, you know, you're coming home late some nights. Um, teams actually served beer on the plane back then, okay? And you, you're telling a guy who's just exhausted himself to drive. Most of the players lived in the Rochester Hills area, sure. um, Rochester, Rochester Hills. Um, to drive back. So Wayne made a very good change to protocol and, and we got buses. We, we met at the Silverdome, boarded the buses and then went to get on the plane. So the first game in Wayne's tenure, we're driving to the, the tarmac. It was over by the FedEx hangar. It wasn't through the, the main terminal. And as we're, as we're going through the gate, there's the bra holding this lion sign and just watching us drive by, right? And so we parked the buses. It was about 80 yards away from where he was standing. And I go, Wayne, we can't leave him. We got to go talk to the brow. I mean, let's. So he and I get off the bus and we walk over. And uh, Wayne, to his credit, invites him on the on the plane. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, we're still, the equipment guys are still putting the equipment in the belly of the plane. So we still have time. So there's the brow and the players see him and they go crazy. Oh, it's the brow. Yeah, yeah. So, so Joe Dyroff is, is, was his name. And again, if you could picture him, it was a cross between Mr. Magoo and whoever else, you know, and, and he was named the brow for good reasons because right. his eyebrows were, you know, they could have got your first down in short yardage. <laughs> believe me. Um, so he walks down the aisle to where the players are seated, seated and I'm going to give him a cheer. So he's, you know, exhorting and he goes, strawberry shortcake, gooseberry pie, V-I-C-T-O-R. And then he screams, why? In his dentures, his false teeth fly out of his mouth down the aisle. And I'm telling you, I've never heard a group of athletes lose it laughing like our, our guys did. It was hilarious. So I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I'm, you know, basically looking under seats with him for his teeth. And then we're down there, and, and he, he grabs me and goes, Billy, 
when they think you're crazy, you can get away with anything. <laughs> of course. Um, and and uh, there were other memorable moments with the brow uh, over the years. You know, one time he, he drove, he drove to our game in Green Bay at Lambeau um, for the 91 game, huge game, huge game. Yep, yep. And I remember waking up at the hotel the morning of the game, went down to the lobby. It was about 630 7 a.m. And here's the brow sleeping in the lobby on the couch on a, you know, and I'm like, Joe, brow, what are you doing? And he says, well, I just got in, you know, a few hours ago, he drove up and I go, you drove, he drove all by himself. And he goes, yeah, I got, I got pulled over about four times. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Well, you know why? What happened? Because I was driving too slow. <laughs> he was driving. The, the vehicle he had, I'll just, I'll just tell you. That thing was so bad and so dangerous. You could see through the floorboards. Okay. <laughs> um, we didn't allow him to drive home. We did, we made in a deal with the uh, hotel and they got rid of the car. It was, it wasn't worth anything. Right. So we, we brought him back on the team plane oh with us. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, the brow was, was a Detroit classic and just a wonderful guy. But, um, but yeah, the, the years with Wayne, um, he definitely had a different approach. He had been with the team as the D coordinator, obviously, you know, from 85, 86, 87. And then he, he took over um, late in 88 and uh, did well. Um, the players really responded to him and he got the job. And he he wasn't afraid to, to hire a very strong staff. He hired Miles Davis, yeah, uh, yeah. June Jones, yeah. uh, Woody Woodenhofer, Frank Gans. That run and shoot I mean, was just wild. All former <laughs> or eventual head coaches. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we did the run and shoot, the silver stretch, yeah. uh, which was revolutionary. Um, and, you know, it started out kind of rough that first year um, in, in 89. And then I, I think if, there, if you were to ask me what was the turning point to that season, we had just gone to uh, – I had played a game in Cincinnati and we were, uh, we were two and two and nine. We, we got smoked yeah. by Boomer Esiason and the Bengals. And, um, and we're walking to the plane on the tarmac and, um, and Wayne and I were talking, we would talk about everything, every game, you know, walking off the field when you would see me. Yeah. <laughs> but we came up with the idea of Wayne only Wayne, because I tell you where this idea came from. It came from Joe Gibbs. Uh, during our Super Bowl year, we lost the game to Dallas in the regular season, yep. and um, it was at home. It was a tough loss. We were undefeated at that time, and Dallas beat us. And we're walking into the locker room, and Joe essentially screams, "Everybody out of here, but the players!" So all the assistant coaches, all the staff, the trainers, everybody. The only one in that locker room was Joe Gibbs and his team, his players. And whatever he said impacted that team because we didn't lose a game the rest of the year and ended up winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. So I shared that with Wayne as a, a thought. Now, unfortunately, we were already – everybody was on the plane. We were the last ones. But he, he did the same thing, got everybody off the plane, coaches, staff, everybody. And he talked to the team and, and he probably talked for 15, 20 minutes. I'm not sure. Um, but it was just him and his players. And uh, we came home for Thanksgiving, beat the Saints, who were a playoff team, and won five in a row to finish that season. Me, and uh, and that was, of course, 
Barry Sanders rookie year. Yep. So, um, you know, getting Barry, um, you know, and by the time, you know, we got to the end of the year, Barry was very comfortable with the, with the, the offense, um, not having a, a tight end in it and spreading the field. It just made sense. It made so much sense for Barry. I asked a couple, a couple questions here. Yeah. Um, first, one of the things about Wayne, his, his relationship with the media was, yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. interesting. I always felt, and again, I was, I was, I was still a young buck at that time. Yeah. I, I, Did you say buck? Did you say young buck? <laughs> you got ah. it. You got it. He was the big buck. He was the big buck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think about it and I just never felt like he got a share, a fair shake from mm-hmm. the media at the time. What, what what's, your, I mean, you, you were right there. You're like almost yeah. between the coach and the media. You're coordinating with yeah. both, both. What, what do you think that relationship was like? Did he get the fair shake that or the shake that he deserved or what, what's your thoughts on that relationship? I think, I think he had a good relationship with the, the, the core media, the B guys, certainly, mm-hmm. um, you know, some of the columnists, maybe not, um, but they have a different role, a different job. Sure. Um, you know, and during Wayne's tenure, I mean, the Tigers were still, you know, they were 85, 84. They had the, you know, the World Series. They made the playoffs in 87. They were still humming. Right. Um, the Wings were just starting to be dominant. You know, I remember them hiring Jacques Demers. And, yeah. and then from that point forward, they were they were on a, a, a trajectory to uh, to be in, you know, one of the best teams ever. Um, and then the Pistons were winning world championships, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so the Michigan was Michigan, Michigan state was Michigan state. Um, I think Detroit's a unique market. I, I've always said there's six professional entities here when you call Michigan and Michigan state. I mean, it's a, it's a fact. Um, and, uh, I think, I think the, uh, you know, we, we were so close so many times and, um, and we just, you know, some will say we were missing a quarterback. Um, that would be hard to argue. Um, you know, when you when you see what the Rams did, Matthew. Okay, yeah. I mean, a quarterback can make a tremendous difference. When I um, when I talk to Wayne and and he and I and and I'm going to go deeper with him. He and I have a, a a promise before COVID that we're going to go out and have a cigar as things are starting oh, gosh, to hopefully yeah. clear out. We're, we're going to we're going to yeah. do this. But one of the things in in talking with him and he, you can tell it's it's awakened him in the middle of the night. It's the thing that he talks about, and it, you can tell it, it, it deeply it yeah. affects him. He's yeah. you need that quarterback, and yeah. we just didn't have yeah. that quarterback. That no, it's the difference yeah. for that team. Now, I I will say this: I believed, and I'm partial. Okay, I believed '93 was the last year we won the division. Yeah. Okay, and for the last four games of that year, Wayne Wayne put Eric Kramer in a quarterback. And I believe if we had kept Eric, we could have won. And I say that because the players loved Eric. They believed in him. Um, We we lost the playoff game, the Sterling Sharp game to Green Bay that year. And um, these games that have these numbers. There's so many games with a name. (laughs) I know. I know. Yeah. (laughs) And I thought I thought if we had signed Eric, um, you know, we had a chance. You know, and as it turned out, we gave Eric a, as was written, said, an insulting offer. It was almost a minimum offer for a veteran. Um, and then he signs with the Bears. 
um, for three times what we offered him. Now, people might think I'm crazy for saying we could have won with Eric Kramer. But here's the deal. There's two big things I want to point out. Eric goes to Chicago. Did they have Herman Moore? No. Did they have Brett Perryman? No. Did they have Barry Sanders? No. Did they have Lomas Brown, Kevin? No. Eric Kramer not only set, but still holds the majority of the Bears' single-season passing records. Okay, so when you say that to people, it's like, no way. It has to be Cutler or McMahon or – no, Eric Kramer. So he had the ability. He did. And the other point that I would make as to why I believe that is because we ended up – when Eric left, uh, Rodney Pete was gone. He had gone to Dallas. Um, when we're, we're without a quarterback. So we, by many accounts, overpaid to get Scott Mitchell. And in the, in the free agent world, the salary cap world, you know, when you're paying twice as much as you wanted to for a position, that affects the other positions on a team. Right. So you don't have the money to get somebody else that could have helped us. So I, I absolutely believe we could have won with Eric. Um, but, we didn't. And uh, then it was then it was Scott Mitchell. And, you know, we had a, a great year offensively in 97. But that was more, in my opinion, um, you know, Barry, that was your Barry had over 2000 and yeah. Herman and, and, and uh, Brett and Johnny Morton by that time were just playing out of their mind. And so Scott it Mitchell was held oddly held so many Lions records for so long up until Matthew yeah. Stafford came along. And it's, it's inexplicable because yeah. you think Eric Kramer could have done all of those things. There's no doubt in my mind that Eric could have, I, I am beyond convinced of that, but you know, that's sport. You know, we, we'll never know. We can believe but uh, but um, you, uh, there's a question in the chat. Do you think if we would have gotten Warren moon instead of Scott Mitchell, they would have done it. You know what? I, I can't believe you're saying that. <laughs> I'm asking for the. I'll well, tell you why. It's Brandon. I'll tell you why. It's Brandon. I'll asking. tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> I owe this to tell. I owe this to you. <laughs> I got a call from someone prior to us signing Scott Mitchell. Okay. And I'm going to say something I've only shared with a few people from somebody that had a great relationship with Warren Moon. And what I was told, now I can't say this is 100%, I believe it to be, is that Warren Moon was interested in playing for us. And so what did I do? I went right to who was making the decisions, and I shared this. And I think, um, I don't know if it was believed or it was just, you're the PR guy, you know. Um, go do your PR, whatever. <laughs> but I made I made a strong point that that I think you know War Moon um, obviously didn't happen. Um, I think Warren signed for almost half of what Scott did yeah. with the Vikings. He had great seasons with the Vikings. Yeah. He tore it up. Yep. Um, do I think we would have won with Warren Moon? Yeah, I do. And do <laughs> I think we would have won with Eric Kramer? Yeah. I do. It hurts, it hurts <laughs> so my heart. <laughs> there, are, there are answers to two questions. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Any. So let me ask just really quick. 
Barry yeah. Sanders, there's there's a bunch of stories out of there out, out there around him. He was always such a class act, and that's one of the things between him and Calvin and the and the other like yeah. Detroit kind of people. There's this. I just love how these folks come in and exude class. Herman Moore, yeah. the same thing, and 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 character, and there's there's something special, and it. it feels very much a a Detroit thing to yeah. kind of be, you know, in that way. Right. Can you tell us anything about Barry and his time uh, that maybe we haven't heard elsewhere? I, I don't know if you've ever heard him, but um, I have two stories about Barry that every person alive should hear. I don't care what you do, sports fan, just human being stories. Yes. So um, I'll do them chronologically. So in '93, in the preseason, we played at we played in London at Wembley. We played Dallas. It was actually the last NFL game ever played in the old Wembley Stadium, um, and. Uh, and it was the last game of the American Bowl, the original American Bowl series. I think the UK finally realized these are preseason games, right? <laughs> they don't count. <laughs> so uh, we were going to be over there for a week. It was a wonderful experience. You know, the whole organization went and we were able to take family. And um, it was really neat. It was really a wonderful experience. So I was part of the advance, you know, group. Um, that made arrangements and, and helped with the uh, travel and accommodations and logistics. And one thing uh, we stayed at a, at a hotel that was right around the corner from the, uh, um, the hard rock cafe in London. Now at the time that may have been the only hard rock London. And that was the hard rock right. London. I mean, that was the place where you had to go. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing like the hard rock. London, right? <laughs> so knowing that everybody in our group, players, staff, like would want to get to the Hard Rock, we we had a, a some communication with the management there ahead of time, and what we were able to do, we we had made a a, a lapel pin for every member of our party to wear that shows whoever the hotel staff, whatever that you're a, a part of the uh, official member of the Lions party. And it was media. It was anybody that essentially traveled from Detroit to, to London for the game. So, uh, and so the deal we made with the hard rock was anybody wearing this pin doesn't have to wait in line because the line was forever around the block. You know, right. you'd wait two, you know, two, three hours to get in. So, um, so it was Friday night before the game, which was on Sunday. And three of our beat writers um, were going to go to the Hard Rock. And they were following protocol. They had their pin on. They also knew with that pin, <laughs> that was the magic ticket, right? Right, right. So they, they head out and they turn the corner and they see this line that's forever. And they start walking past everybody, everybody, everybody. They got their pin. They got their, you know, get out of jail free card. They don't have to wait. Halfway down the line, guess who's standing there all by himself? Barry. Barry Sanders. All by himself. And they see him, and it's like, Barry, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? He goes, oh, I want to go to the Hard Rock. And uh, Barry, as he always was, he always followed protocol, had his pin on. And they go, Barry, you got your pin. You don't have to wait. 
come on with us. We're going to go to the front line. We're going to and Barry just, hmm. you know, Barry had some mannerisms. Nah, you know what? I'll just wait like everybody else. And, you know, an ultimate, you know, yeah. conviction on these guys, right? Wow. <laughs> Did they stay with them? No, they went to the front of the line. <laughs> but, I mean, you talk about humility. You talk about not – I mean, he was arguably the most popular NFL player at that time. Yeah. I mean, he was a giant when he came to popularity. No, he's going to stay right right where he was, okay? So that that's one story the, that I just think, you know, it exudes humility, decency. You know, I'm no better than anyone else. I just do something different, you know, that type of thing. Now, the other story that is right up there and maybe my favorite because it just, it just exudes work ethic and why he was so great. Um, it was the 96 season, which ended up being Wayne's last year. So the end of that year, we started out four and two, but then just, we only won one game after that five and 11. And it became pretty obvious that it was going to be over. Right. Uh, for Wayne. So our, our final game that year, um, now the previous year, 94, we made the playoffs. So we had a pretty good schedule. Um, but, uh, the final game in, uh, 96 was, uh, was, uh, at San Francisco 49ers on a Monday night, nonetheless. Okay. So, um, like I said, it was pretty well expected that it would be Wayne's last game. Um, we were long out of the playoffs, you know, the season was over. So we had on Friday before we, we went to San Francisco on Saturday. Back then, teams going east to west would often go two days early. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we were leaving on Saturday for San Francisco. So our last full practice was on Friday. And it was, I think it was even earlier than normal just to get the guys out of there and, you know, get ready to, to go to San Francisco. So I think practice might have been scheduled for 11 or whatever. So I get a call right before practice from Dave Goldberg, who was the AP sports editor out of New York. And Dave told me that Barry once again had been a unanimous selection, all pro, which is the epitome. Right. Pro balls, one thing, but all pro is, is it for, real, for, an, right? for an athlete, for an right. NFL player, you know, unprecedented, you know, and, and Dave asked if I could get a couple quotes from him because they were going to release it later that day around five o'clock or whatever. So I told him, I said, yeah, I'll get, I'll get with Barry. I'll get you a few things. So I rushed down to the locker room and players are heading out to practice and I get Barry at his locker and he's getting ready to go. And I explained to him and he says, yeah, just, just come down after practice. You know, I'll give you what you need. Okay. So practice is over. I'm with Wayne doing some media. Um, and this is the end of December. Okay. So just, it was a cold, dark, dreary, Michigan day. So I, uh, I finished with the media and with Wayne, I head into the locker room and, uh, it's almost empty, you know, cause the guys were out of there. Um, and I'm looking for Barry. His clothes are still in his locker. Um, but he's not there. So I go into the training room, see if he's getting treatment. No. Um, I look in the meeting room, not there. We didn't have a cafeteria back then like the team does today. So I can't find him. 
So I, I think, is he doing any media out on the field that I just didn't notice, right? Because we practiced inside the Silverdome that day. So I, I walk down the tunnel to the, to the entrance to the dome, go through the revolving door, um, and it's empty. He's not there. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I go back in the locker room one more time. Maybe he was in the bathroom. I don't know. And by this time, there's hardly anybody there. But his clothes are still in his locker. So I'm like, did he go up to the office? I check up there. No. So I'm in the tunnel. And I'm just thinking, oh, my gosh. Barry could be absent-minded at times, to be honest. <laughs> um, but his clothes were still in his locker. So I, I don't know what made me do it. But I thought, well, let me check the weight room, which was underneath stands off the tunnel at the Silverdome. So I open the door and I hear the clanking of machines, right? I turn the corner, one player in there working out. One player, Barry Sanders. Okay. And I'm like, of course he sees me. Oh yeah. He goes, give me, give me a 20 minutes or whatever. He told me, come back down. So I go up to my office, wait a little while come back down, go to the locker room. It's dark now. There's nobody there. Clothes are still in his locker. So, okay, he's getting a longer lift in than we thought. So I go to the weight room. It's dark. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, oh, Barry, you know, where could he be? So I'm standing in the tunnel. I'm thinking I'm going to have to drive over to his home, which was in Rochester Hills at the time, not that far from the Silverdome. And then for some reason, I think, I don't even know if I did it on purpose or I just did it. I walk out onto the field. Now, picture this. Picture this. Like I said, it was the end of December. The roof at the Silverdome was translucent, but it was a cold, gray, miserable day. And by that time, the lights had been shut off. So they had safety lights on that just rimmed the perimeter of the the stadium. It was almost like a spaceship effect, you know. I walked through there. And in the distance, in the darkness, I see a solitary figure running gassers, Barry Sanders. And I'm getting chills right now, Chris, telling you this, because that's the epitome of greatness. What you do when no one's looking. Well, I was looking, but really no one was looking. (laughs) Here's a guy that's the best at his craft, the best. And he's lifting weights when no one else is. He's running when no one, he's like Kobe Bryant had a maniacal preparation where he would take so many shots. Michael Jordan, there's no coincidence why these guys are so great. So, you know, Barry saw me, I got the quotes, blah, blah, blah. We go to Monday night against the 49ers playoff team. They had the number one rushing defense in the NFC. They were second in the NFL going into that game. Barry was 60 to 70 yards behind. I think it was Terrell Davis. Yeah, that's who it was Mm -hmm. for the NFL rushing lead. He was going to lead the NFC, but we're talking NFL league leader. 49ers are a really good team, and they were playing to win because they had a playoff implication for home field involved. Um, Barry puts like 157 on the 49ers, including one – you know, highlight film run where he spun around, you know, goes over 50 yards for a touchdown. And I'm telling you this, I'm watching that run in the press box. I got tears coming down my cheeks thinking, wow, do I realize what I'm seeing? It it gives me chills right now. I got chills thinking this guy is remarkable in so many ways. So those are two of my 
most favorite berry stores. I can I can feel it too, and that's it, yeah. It, it really is. And having grown up and watched him in the moment, you talk about how great he is and how great yeah. he was. But I don't think you really appreciate no. in that. And, and it, there's there's a certain flavor that the nostalgia and looking back gives you, yeah. and, and and almost a certain sadness that you realize yeah. I didn't recognize yeah. just how great. He actually right. was, and, and 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 it's the same for for Kobe watching him play, and and yeah. Michael Jordan. They're just impressive, so great in the moment. And you're like, yeah, these are yeah. the guys, and the first names that roll off your tongue when you're talking about the the elite of the elite in the sport. Right. But even then, you mm-hmm. don't recognize just no. how elevated they are, and it's something no. to look back on. And one thing that that hit me early in Barry's career, and I would share it periodically with people I was close to, I says, we don't have a clue what we're looking at. We will not truly appreciate his greatness until he's, he's gone. Yeah. Um, because there's, there's just no comparison. He, he was remarkable. And in some respects, this is another opinion that's just, you know, I've had, it was almost, he was so good. I think we lost focus on what we needed to get over the hump. Yeah. You no, know? I mean, I think there's a, there was a part of that. A part of that he and Wayne he had was, a very special relationship too you know and yeah. I think maybe that that was part of it him he and Wayne seemed to be very very close they were and and Wayne was yeah. was great with all the players right but yeah but he and Barry had had something yeah. very very special yeah. um let me ask a question came up from the chat uh do you think Barry would have retired if Wayne Fonts stayed on another year here here's what I think um I think it was a combination of of Wayne not being there, okay. Now, Barry did play two years under Bobby Ross. Yep. Um, but I think more than that, you know, we let Lomas Brown go. It was Barry and Lomas were like that. And our position was Lomas is done. He only played seven more years, went to two Super Bowls, yep. made Pro Bowls. Down Tampa. We uh, we didn't handle Kevin Glover properly from a contract standpoint. Um, Benny Blades, same way. So guys that Barry grew up with, it's like family members, you're growing up with these guys, um, we're all gone. Barry looks at the locker room, who's left? And I think that really impacted him. And not having Wayne there, I'm not saying that if Wayne had stayed, he would have stayed. But I'm, I'm, I believe without question – you know, losing those players had a absolute impact on Barry because what it, what I believe it told Barry in his opinion, right? We weren't serious. How could you leave Lomas Brown go? How could you leave Kevin Glover go? How could you leave Benny Blades go? Um, and uh, it's hard to argue that because we weren't successful. Sure. When, you know, without those guys. Yeah. Well, Bobby Ross, a little bit short-lived after Wayne, and and again, Wayne. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm wrestling right now with with Dan Campbell as as yeah. one of my top favorites, but Wayne Fonts as one of my absolute favorite yeah. coaches of all time. Just the personality, yeah. how he he was just great, and and then getting to know him afterwards, he's still he's the same yeah. guy I saw. Right, well, you so, so you. Uh, I thought you were setting me up there when you mentioned. You being a young buck, <laughs> so, I'll tell you. I'll tell you how the the big buck sure. uh, was born. Okay, so we had just lost the game, um, and he was 
and the media was after him. I mean, it was pretty bad. And maybe we had lost a couple in a row. Okay. So I got to prep him for his Monday press conference after the game. And he is not in a good place. Okay. And so I, Wayne, uh, here's the deal, Wayne. He go, you know, and he shared a few thoughts and ideas he had with respect to some of the media members. I go, no, you're not going to do that. You're not going to call anybody out. Wayne, Wayne, here's the reality, Wayne. And we're in Michigan. It's, it's deer hunting season. I go, Wayne, okay, here's the deal. It's just like the hunter after that 12 point, 14 point trophy buck. They admire the hell out of you, Wayne, but they want your rack on the wall. You're the big buck, Wayne. Okay, understand that. They admire you. That doesn't mean they don't want your rack on the wall. And he's thinking, now, did I ever expect him to take what I said and begin his press conference with, how's everybody doing? You know what? I'm the big buck. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) I'm just like... Oh my goodness! So that was the uh, the birth of the big buck, and and it, it and only Wayne could handle it the way he did, and it it grew and it became just part of his legend and lore. Um, so yeah, Wayne, love him to <laughs> the big death. Buck. Love him to death. Yeah, Bobby Ross. This is one. Here's a guy served in the army. Graduated yeah. the Air Force Academy, the Naval Academy, mm-hmm. coached, uh, you know, Citadel. Yeah, very, very strong. You, you you see him, and you expect him to march into the building every day. Yeah. And and in yeah. the end, it kind of feels like the Lions broke Bobby Ross. <laughs> I hate to say that, but it kind of yeah. felt that way on the departure. What what happened? What was what was the? the- I mean, I I was uh, talking to somebody recently um, about Gary Moeller, who replaced Bobby Ross, um, about you know Mo passing and. Uh, and I said, Bobby Ross may be the only coach in NFL history to quit, resign with a winning record during a season. And, and sadly, but truthfully, it was not that dissimilar to some of his previous stops where um, I think Bobby pushed himself so hard and he got to a point where there's nothing left. And he believed there was nothing left. Yeah. So he, uh, I mean, we had just lost the, the Miami Dolphins, Dave Wanstad and the Miami Dolphins. We were five and four, still in the hunt. Um, had a, you know, I wouldn't say a tough schedule, you know, a pretty good shot at making the playoffs. And uh, I remember like, like it was yesterday in the locker room, helping the media with the interviews. And I get a, Somebody tells me Mr. Ford wants to see me, and Mr. Ford tells me, well, get ready for a press conference. Yeah. And uh, we introduced Mo, and and Bobby left. You've heard that more than once. Get ready for a press conference. One of the more bizarre days. I mean, I'm not saying – I know I didn't ever expect that to happen. Bobby had some health issues, too, during that time. Um, some uh, I liked his approach. I I, I liked yeah. Bobby Ross a lot, and it was it was yeah. stunning to me because yeah. he was the epitome. Like, and and this is kind of almost that that cautionary tale where you talk about Barry doing all the extra work when nobody's yeah. looking, doing that, and mm-hmm. and then you have Bobby who is 
so intense and and has yeah. those same high expectations, mm-hmm. but yeah. to to a different point, and and and, right. and and what could have been the the thing that hurt him, and it's yeah. it's good to see he's doing well. But um, that was that 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 was a tough one. Let's talk about Gary Moeller. Recently yeah. passed. He he was a guy I I really respected Gary a lot. And yeah. some people say that maybe had Herman and and no no bad nothing bad to say against Herman right. But if had Herman no. made a catch, um, had yeah. we maybe not changed GMs? You know uh, what's funny? Would I uh, shake <laughs> when I was on when I was on uh, a previous show this week. Um, they asked me about the Chicago game. And what I remember, and everybody remembers Paul Edinger, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Said, you know what I remember? We were up 10 nothing, far sideline, going right to left. A catch that Herman made a million times. And if he catches it, it's six. We're up 17 nothing. Game over. over. Yep. I'm convinced game over. Yep. But that's football. That's sports. That's life. I mean, things happen. And we didn't respond. Uh Charlie Batch went out. Stony Case came in and threw a pick six to R.W. McCorders. And then we actually, we were down by three, and we actually got the ball back. And we were first and goal with like under two minutes to go. We scored touchdown game over. We didn't score. Had to kick a field goal. Tied it at 20, I think. Um, And then uh, they pulled their miracle. And uh, Paul Edinger, yeah. But I remember that that Herman play, um, and it's so sad. I mean, I say sad. It's not life and death, but a, a player as great as him, you just never would have expected it. Right. But it happened. Yeah. You know, it happened. Yeah, Herman's Herman's he's a great individual as well. Yeah. Another another one of the class acts to to roll through Detroit. Yeah. Anything about Gary that that you remember? Um, well, that, I love Gary Moeller. I mean. We had gotten to be close, uh, or I had gotten to know him even when he was at Michigan. Um, I had known Bo pretty well and got to know Mo through Bo. Um, and then obviously we hire him as a as a linebacker coach and just loved the guy. Um, and, I mean, he was universally respected and loved. And, you know, the, the million-dollar question is if – if he had been given a shot, you know, because he was he was signed when he was made the interim coach, he effectively got a two year deal after the end of that season. Right. So there was an expectation there, and um, you know, it, you know, Matt Millen came in and had his own ideas. Um, Mo wasn't retained. He went to uh, he went to Jacksonville as the D coordinator the next year, but only lasted a year, which. I never really understood, you know, and then he went to Cincinnati or Chicago. He went to Chicago and and didn't last that long there. Um, uh, Maybe, maybe Mo was just, you know, burned out or whatever. I always thought, um, you know, any college should have just scooped him up because he was, he was a leader. He was um, respected. He was a man's man. I mean, he was just a wonderful guy. And in the, you know, the response to his passing has been universal in, in love and respect and admiration. Yeah. So, yeah, just a wonderful guy. I would have loved to have seen his years. And it's it's interesting in, you know, time always, you know, you yeah. brings more to hear uh, Matt Millen say that, you know, he, he felt in the in retrospect, he was woefully unprepared for that role. It was it was yeah. a big jump for him to take. Yeah. And, I mean, he said it himself. And that's yeah. one of those things where he came in. You, you, 
you're hired, you have a little bit of, you know, um, you're kind of, you're in your own head, you're full of yourself, you're feeling your oats, sort of a thing. And I'm yeah. bringing my guy in and this is what we're doing. So, um, yeah, wish I would have been able to see Gary, uh, right. with the lions and, and, and yeah. really, you know, to his, his family and everybody else, you know, greatest right. condolences in his passing. He's, he's a definite yeah. loss, but, um, looking forward, we bring Matt Mellon in and yeah. we decide right off the bat, Marty, no matter what you do, take the wind. That's, that's, <laughs> that's the let, me, <laughs> let me, let me tell you about that game. Um, that game was against the bears at Illinois. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. Uh, soldier field was being renovated. Okay. And um, we had going into that game, the longest road losing streak in the league. And we really played well in that game. Uh, we, we had a 10 point lead and uh, the weather was coming through. Okay. You could sense the wind ratcheting up. One, one thing I will say about that game, um, there were probably between the Bears and Lions, seven or eight scoring drives. All but one of them was with the wind. And that was in the first quarter. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you were going against the wind, it wasn't going to happen. So we have a chance to seal the game in the fourth quarter. And it's fourth down. And Jim Miller was the Bears quarterback. He goes back to pass. Robert Porsche beats his man clean and he's going to tackle and sack Jim Miller. We're going to win the game. Miller slips as he's rolling out. And if he hadn't have slipped Robert Saxon, I just watched this because he last slipped, night. Robert. <laughs> and so Miller gets up, throws a pass first down drive continues. Uh, they tie the game. Okay. So now let's go to the, to the timeout, you know, of, of all time. So we win the toss and we take the wind and there's people like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, the reality is I don't fault Marty for that call. I don't because it's not the first time that happened. The Super Bowl coaches have done that. Bill Parcells and Dan Reeves and other great coaches where I, believe Marty screwed up was if you, I don't know if you remember the, what happened. So the bears get the ball and they do march downfield. They have a third and 10. I think it was from our 35 yard line. Okay. Mm -hmm. Incomplete pass penalty flag bears are holding. Okay. So um, we can move them back seven yards. Okay, or we can decline the penalty because there's no way they're going to attempt a 52-yard field goal into 30 plus a mile, 30 mile, you know, plus wind. Mm -hmm. There's no way. Right. And people tell me that the punt team had started to come on the field because I think it was Dick Duran was the head coach of the Bears. I think just assumed. Okay, we're going to decline the penalty. Right, mm -hmm. because you're not going to attempt a 52-yard field goal into that win. No, we took the penalty. So now it's third and 17. Jim Miller hits a 14-yard pass. Now it's fourth and four. They still don't kick. 
into the win, even though they're in a better position than they were the play before. They convert on fourth down, move it down to 10-yard line, whatever it was, and kick the winning field goal. And, uh, and, and we are – that's the game before Thanksgiving, right? So we're a national story as it is, yeah. let alone we're going to be playing on Thanksgiving after – after taking the win. Yeah. So I remember um, I told my staff, everybody report to the office. We're not going home. We're going to do some research. And that's when, when we found, you know, like I said, some of the great coaches in NFL history had made the same decision using the same rationale. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't stay true to that. I mean, Marty, in my opinion, didn't stay true to his decision. If he had stayed true to that, Declined the penalty, they would have punted, would have got the ball. Who knows what would happen? Sure. We still may have lost, yeah. but uh, that's my profound memory of, of that game. I was yeah. I was young. I might have had a couple ginger ales on the couch that day, and yeah. it was one of those like, "What in yeah. the world are you doing, Marty?" Yeah. Now that being said, you're right. It's been done a couple times. Belichick has done it since. I know. Yeah. That. Oh yeah. And yeah. And Marty's gone on to have a pretty storied and long and successful. He really career. had. Yeah. yeah. He was an excellent offensive coach. Um, he really was, and he had success. You know, went to Super Bowl with the Eagles, and um, yeah, he 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 had a great coaching career. He just obviously wasn't a head coach, yep. at least not for the Lions during that time. Yeah. So. And that's and that, and that's one of the things we see and we talk about with uh, some of the coaches today and, and people moving to different places and, and how yeah. they roll through. Some people are, are absolutely spectacular as an offensive coordinator or yeah. a line coach. And and that next level is just not necessarily maybe something they want right. to do or something they have all the pieces together. And it's hard to tell until right. they get in that role. It's really hard yeah. to tell how they're going to how they're going to do. Yeah. So we moved on from Marty. We got uh Steve Mariucci. Yeah. Um Steve God, I I love Steve coming in. He had the hair, yeah. he had the pedigree, he had the whole thing. Yeah. And um at the four points of contact, I'll never forget, you know, how he reached all that. Yeah. He was that tight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was he was great. Yeah. Um any 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 good memories about uh Well, Steve and I had a great relationship and I I think Honestly, it came down to what we talked about before. We thought we had the quarterback by drafting Joey, but it it just didn't work. And um, and it it and then Steve brings in Jeff Garcia, and um, Jeff got hurt. And uh, I thought we were close a couple times with Steve. I remember going into the Meadowlands in '04, um, and they were a playoff team, and we pounded them to go four and two. And I thought, man, and that was probably the the apex of it. Um, but then just uh, just just found a way to lose more than found a way to win. Um, and then uh, you know it just disintegrated after that. Obviously, yeah, yeah, that was uh, I, I. One of the things, and this was you know, as growing up and watching these things and learning learning from sport. As 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 a man, as a as a human being, you can learn so much about yeah. life and being a person from from sport. Yeah. Um, seeing Joey's TED talk, 
Uh, I don't know if you've seen that. It is absolutely heartfelt. And he goes very, very emotionally deep to discuss his time with the Lions and what they asked for him. It is a spectacular watch. If you've not seen it. I would do that. It's it's easy for for the listeners, for anybody to sit back and point and say, ah, Joey, you know, ah, ha, ha, or whatever. Go see that and get a sense of what he went through and what it's like to be in that position. It really puts some perspective on it for people and gives you a sense of the man behind the yeah, the play. No doubt. Very, yeah. very well done from from Joey, and uh, I have a lot of respect for him. And I and I and I regret. I mean, he never heard me talking, right? But I regret some right. of the thoughts and feelings I had back in the day. Had no sure. idea, no idea. And and I grew a lot seeing that from him. So yeah. very, very powerful. Um, well, I remember. I mean, Joey's first game was against Green Bay, the home opener at Ford Field, um, and he really played a good game. Um, we lost at the very end, had the ball at the end of the game with a chance to win. And then the next week, we beat New Orleans. And if you were to watch those two games, you would have been convinced this guy has got a shot. Um, and uh, it just never happened. And, and it's time, place, circumstance. There's so many factors. Yep. I mean, I don't want to compare the two, but, I mean, look at Matthew Stafford. I mean, he goes to L.A., and no surprise to me and many others, they win a Super Bowl. And any, uh, any thought so, about Matthew having a little bit of the same situation as Barry did? Meaning we were so focused yeah. on the player that we missed the things. The other yeah. things. Oh, I. I mean, you're talking to the wrong person when it comes to Matthew. I love Matthew Stafford same. and Kelly. Um, I mean, I I went through everything with him. And I always believed we could have won. We were so close. And and he had historically the worst running game over a seven-year period. Historically, the yeah. worst. Yeah. Okay. Now, that being said, um, the, the 2014 season, Jim Caldwell's first year, um, who I have as much respect for any head coach I ever worked with, as a, as a coach, as a man, as a leader, exceptional. So think about this, Chris, we go to Dallas and um, this is how close it is in the NFL. And I say how close we were, we go to Dallas and I don't think anybody objectively, if they're honest, would disagree when I say, if they had made the right call, we win that game. Okay. You agree with that? I think I, let me get Coach Campbell to check in. You've had enough of that shit. Yes, yes, he, he agrees <laughs> too. <laughs> so there you go. So we lose that game. All right. Now, what did Dallas do the next week? They go to Green Bay, and the Des Bryant catch on the half yard line that's called a no catch. Yep. By all accounts, they should have won that game. Dallas, who we should have beat the week before. And that, to, as a side note, that's one of my favorite Dean Blandino quotes when okay, we were yeah. doing so much work with him. That was not a catch. Did Des did not catch that I ball. Yeah, and as yeah. a Lions fan with a Calvin Johnson rule and everything else, yeah. we all yeah. know he did not know. catch that ball. I know. Yeah. <laughs> so Dallas loses that game. Similar. It was almost like karma, right? The way we lost. Yeah. Okay, you're going to experience the same thing. So Green Bay goes to Seattle. Goes to Seattle. They're up by 16 points in the second half. Seattle scores one touchdown on a trick play, a, a, a field goal, fake field goal touchdown. 
they do the onside kick right in the in the hands of the Packer tight end who fumbles it. Right. Goes to overtime. Seattle wins. Seattle goes to the Super Bowl. Last minute of the game, they don't hand the ball off to Marshawn Lynch. New England wins the Super Bowl. So Seattle was that close. Green Bay was that close. Dallas was that close. We were that close. We were that close. Mm -hmm. And when you think, and then what happened after that, we didn't re-sign Adama Kinsu, which to me was the difference. Yeah. Because that had a trickle-down effect on the defense, and um, that was tough. That was tough losing him. Because he he was playing at the at the height, I mean his career, he was as good as anybody in the league, and it impacts your whole defense when you have a dominant player like yeah. that. And he and he truly did, I believe, love playing for Jim Caldwell, because um, he never really got to the same level uh, in Miami or or Tampa Bay or anywhere after he left us. Right, right. Jim Caldwell, he was a character. Uh, well, mm-hmm. let me let me go back really quick, just just to touch on on Rod Marinelli yeah. because he was a really good man. Um, he gets a lot of heat because of, of course, the the zero and sixteen season. Yeah. Um, I th- I believe we we did we picked up Calvin Johnson right around there, wasn't it? What that was Calvin Calvin was drafted in 07. zero and sixteen yeah. was zero eight. Yep. So we got yeah. it the year before with Rod Marinelli. So they they worked yeah. together. Rod was for, by all reports, Rod was a really, really good and smart guy. We've seen him do great work as a defensive coordinator yeah. uh, in, in, in uh, Chicago and in Dallas. And he, it feels a little bit like he's one of those guys that makes a heck of a coordinator, but maybe not yeah. quite that, that head coach level. Right. I mean, it's hard to argue that Rod Marinelli is as impressive a human being and leader. He's like Jim Caldwell in my book, just an amazing human being. Amazing. And when people ask me about 0-16, what I remember more than anything is how he kept the team together that year, almost inexplicably, because it was remarkable. And he never, you know, uh, wanted anyone to take blame, pointed at me. He took the blame. Um, And even into that last game at Green Bay at Lambeau, and – People wouldn't know this, but he was sick as a dog that weekend. He shouldn't even have made the trip to Lambeau. He was taking IV the morning of the game. But knowing Rod, you know, you know he's going to be on the sideline with his guys. Right. And what I remember most about that whoops, fumble, <laughs> what, I, what I remember most about that season and about Rod was even in that final game, uh, we fought back to tie it in the fourth quarter, uh, 21-21, and the Packers ended up winning. But Rod Marinelli was, I mean, he, he is the epitome of a man, of a leader, of a guy that will fight for you. And there's not a player that played for him that didn't love him, much like Jim Caldwell yeah. didn't love him. Yeah. 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 All right, Jim Schwartz, I know you and he mm-hmm. shared a love of the same style of music. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, talk, he he was he was a a character. He had a lot yeah. of energy. Uh, wore seemed to wear his emotions on the sleeve. Yeah. But he he seemed to be the exact. I I've said this since since his first comp, press conference. Mm-hmm. He was the right guy at the right time no for this team. A great coach. Uh, yeah. I mean, to take us from from zero and sixteen to the to the yeah. playoffs, 
that yeah. that was a heck of a turnaround from a guy who, yeah. like I said, wore his passions on his sleeve. Yeah, I've heard uh, some some stories about him. Anything you have about about uh, Coach Schwartz that that jumps out that kind of makes you giggle? <laughs> well, um, a very uh, smart guy, very intelligent guy. I mean, George profoundly. Yeah. And what I really expected to happen. Um, I mean, you're right. He was the right guy at the right time. You know, we went, you know, 0 and 16 and then went uh, two wins to six wins to 10 wins, the playoffs. And that playoff game against the Saints, mm-hmm. we were leading in the first half. Mm-hmm. And once again, a call in that game I remember that. Yep. had a profound impact on it because we, we create a fumble. Um, our linebacker picks it up and it's going to be six points. They blow the play dead, and it would have put us up by double figures. Yep. And- I remember that, and and this is the thing I, I I pointed that play, and just like in Dallas, right? That yeah. play was a turning point. But yeah, I, I asked myself, why why do we wilt after that? And and it happens not just to the Lions, but other right. teams. Like, how does that happen? How does that get into a well, player's head, boy? It yeah, the whole I, I the the game of football, and I believe is unique among any other. Um, but the emotion that goes into a playoff game, um, when a play goes against you early on, especially if you're the underdog or it has a, I, I, I mean, they're human beings. Yeah. Okay. I mean, remember the, the, the bills in the Super Bowls every year, um, something would go wrong early other than the first Super Bowl and, you know, Dallas would blow them out. Washington would blow them out, whatever. Um, I mean, great teams have games where something early has such an impact um, that it just it just has a greater, I guess, a greater impact than just being a single play. And and I think at that New Orleans game, that changed the trajectory of that game big time. Yeah. And Matthew played pretty darn well in that game. Yeah. Um, it really did. And, um, of course, every team can point to the same thing. You know, I know that. I mean, the Saints, you know, they lose that, so the that game to the Vikings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that was, you know, re- re- remarkable in so many ways. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, and then, you know, like I said, there's, there's plays in every game, early in the game, that have such an impact. And when you, when it's a playoff game, it's even a greater, a greater impact. And I think that's, you know what? What has happened to the to the lines a few times over the years? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. Yeah. Jim Schwartz, great coach, brought yeah. a lot out of this team and out of the players. Yeah. But it, but you could feel. I think it was for me the the Thanksgiving game against Houston, the whole yeah. flag. For me, that really felt like this is going to be yeah. short lived from this you, point. You know <laughs> that that flag. That's that's one of the top ten for me because. Here, here's my commentary on that. Mm-hmm. Within two weeks uh, prior and after that game, the same thing happened twice. Um, it happened with Mike Smith in Atlanta, and it happened with uh, um, it happened with Green Bay. I think in both cases, the flag was picked up, or it wasn't even thrown. Right. Right. Okay. So was it because we were on national TV? I don't know. 
But here's the thing that astounded me. So that was a rule. Okay, it was put in. Okay. Can you imagine if that play occurred in the Super Bowl and it decided the game? Okay. Everybody sees him go down. Okay. He's down. He gets back up and runs 70 yards for a touchdown. He's down. But based on the rule at the time, the head coach throws a flag. Too bad. Are you kidding me? So to me, the thought that that rule could have made its way into the rule book is astounding. Is astounding. Now, what happened? The next year, the rule was changed. Yep. Because maybe it was a new committee at the league or maybe – um, I don't know if Dean Dean had retired. I, I don't know the particulars. Right. But to me, to think that that rule got put in at that time, and if that had happened in the Super Bowl, oh my goodness! And, so and you know, yeah, that that was a a gut wrenching loss, yeah. um, and it probably was, as you said, the beginning of the end. And 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 but the thing about Jim about Schwartzy is, I really believed, I really did that his career was going to have a similar path as Bill Belichick. Now that's high. That's speaking pretty highly, right? Yep. yep, Okay. That Bill started at Cleveland and his time at Cleveland was very comparable to Jim's with the lions. Number of years, a playoff berth, all that very similar. Um, I'm just shocked that Jim hasn't gotten another chance as a head. I know he's interviewed a few places, um, but he is a very good coach, and um, and I believe, like like Bill, like anybody, um, he would have realized his mistakes in Detroit. Um, he would eliminate those, do the same, the good things, keep them with him, and uh, I'm I'm really surprised that he hasn't gotten another head job. Yeah. Yeah, same, same. He's 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 a heck of heck of a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, Jim Schwartz, you talked a little bit about him. Uh, I'm sorry, Jim Caldwell. Going from Jim to Jim, Um, he is such a class act and such a high character individual. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It 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 felt like as a fan that we had hit the peak that we were going to hit with the team, and it felt like the team had done all the right things. After his tenure to make the changes to take that next step, like they did from Jim Schwartz to Jim Caldwell, yeah. um, let's just really quickly talk about Jim Call uh, Jim Caldwell's tenure as a coach. Yeah. Um, again, great man, great leader of men. Yeah. Um, what's What's your favorite memory of, of Jim? I mean, just his uh, his class. I don't know that I have one, um, but he just such a class act in the way he handled the team. There were no favorites, okay? He treated every and, – and the respect that that garnered him and and in the way the way he commanded the room when he spoke. And when he left, he was the only coach that I worked with or I could recall where there was universal admiration and respect for him from every part of the organization, players – staff, stadium people, security, the cafeteria workers, everybody. Because he he is um 
he is a incredible human being and a leader. I, I'm I'm shocked, you know, probably more shocked that he hasn't gotten a, a head job. I mean, I think it's a travesty. Yeah. An absolute travesty. And and why didn't it work with Jim? Well, we had the great first year, we lost Sue. That to me was what started the downfall. Yeah. Um, you know, we had we had changes in it in the personnel department. Um, we hired a new general manager. Um, and then I we we still didn't have the running game that you know Matthew was a quarterback, historically bad. Yeah, just um, for and we lost some inexplicable games. I mean, you talk about bad calls, the the Thursday night game against the Packers, the Hail Mary game. When on the last play of the game, we get called for a face mask that still hasn't happened, you know. And if we won that game, we were right there. Yep. I mean, there's not a player or anybody that had an association with us that didn't believe we were going to run the table and make the playoffs. Um, and we very well might have because we were we were up seventeen nothing in that game, yep. um, and we didn't hold it, but. But to lose a game like that was was just devastating, um, just devastating. So, um, yeah, it's uh, you know, uh, like I said, I, I just shock shocking that um, that we didn't win, uh, you know, with Jim, or we didn't. It, it didn't turn out better for him, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, felt- and I think Matt Patricia, I think people will come to learn how good a coach. He is. Uh, and I don't know if he'll get another shot or not. But the way I look at Matt, his first year was about right or wrong, right or wrong, changing the culture as he felt he needed to do. Right. Okay. We may disagree with it because there were some veteran players that were let go. I understand that. But if you're giving somebody the keys, let them drive the car, you know, the way they want to. Let them listen to the music that they went to, right? Yeah, right. So he changes the culture. And even in that first year, um, we were in the, we were, we weren't eliminated until December. Yeah. Okay. Um, it would have been a long shot, but we were in the hunt until December. The second year, we're right around 500. Halfway through the season, Matthew Stafford gets hurt, gone for the rest of the year. Don't win another game. Yeah. Um, the third year and things were starting to go downhill by then for uh for matt and his staff and for bob quinn um covid right yeah and that affected every team differently um it had to have an impact i know everybody had to deal with the same you know rules and restrictions and protocols but i think that had a a big impact and then uh, it's hard to turn things around in a situation like that so when you're starting you know 10 10 yards behind the starting line like the lions were in the COVID year how do you catch up in a circumstance where everything is upended it's difficult it's difficult yeah and you you talk about that and that's one of the things you know they gave the keys to to matt patricia and in the moment when he was hired you Mm -hmm. think about it um Ernie Corsi, the whole search, the way it yeah. was conducted, it was renowned. It was throughout right. the NFL hailed as the ultimate yeah. best search, best quality yeah. GM, best choice across the board. Yeah. And 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 in the in that in that mindset, you you do hand the keys and you say from this right. this this dynastic uh, yeah. organization, take us there, bring us there. Yeah. We've we've built from Jim well, Schwartz to Jim Caldwell. We're ready now. We're on the we're on the precipice. Yeah. Take us there and. Yeah. And it was so disappointing to watch from that yeah. point to where it wound up. Well, Chris, let's go back to something I alluded to earlier about how 
plays in a game early in the season. You look at his second year, two games, Kansas City at home in a top 10 bizarro play, the fumble with the goal line returned 99 yards by Breland. Are you kidding me? That doesn't happen. We win that game. Yeah. And then Green Bay, two hands to the face calls that haven't been called since. We win that game. Now, you mean to tell me, and I think we were 1-0-1 at the time we play in Kansas City. I could be wrong on that. But you mean to tell me we don't win those two games? The season isn't different? Absolutely it is. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's why we love sports. We can go back and the what-ifs and maybes and how-comes and all that. But those were two plays that were gut-wrenching, or two two games. Yeah. You know, the Breland play. And then even against – even in that Kansas City game, we still fought and fought. And Mahomes had to make a remarkable play on fourth down. We figured out the Kansas City – the game. Our defense figured out the Kansas City offense like nobody else had right. previously. We right. set the template for yeah. the NFL in that game. Yeah. And it was just such yeah. a heartbreaker. Such it's heartbreaking. heartbreaking. So – but that's the beauty of football in the NFL. It's it's so small the margin, um, and uh, and so there's always hope. And uh, I know there's you know a lot of hope going into Dan's second year. So uh, let's you let's know. talk about that because yeah, it, it's hard. Okay, okay. So to have a guy, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out a, a Dan Campbell quote again here. Yeah. I just had this feeling of like uh, I was going to be walking around with any pants on. <laughs> Dan has a way with words that yeah, I, he does. since the big buck, right? We haven't seen that from a head no. coach. Yeah. He has endeared himself to fans of the Lions. Um, he held a team together in a, a year last year yeah. where guys you would expect would have been calling it in the first of December. Yeah. Um, that game they won against Minnesota was, was I, right. I, I happened to be there and it was just oh. ex- <laughs> so exciting. Yeah. Um, but he held that team together and he's, mm-hmm. and they believe the team, the coaches, yeah. the players, we were at senior bowl this year. We were able to interview Hank Fraley, uh, FIP, um, just, yeah. just, a, a, a Kelvin Shepard, a bunch of the guys. And you just can see and feel the love that yeah. his coaches have for him. Yeah. So, so, so there's a personality there. There's a player love. The players love, uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh Jim Caldwell. The players loved Coach Fonts. You have these things. What do you think? Do you think Dan Campbell and Brad Holmes have the the right stuff? Is do you do you sense something different with this leadership team than maybe what we've seen previously? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easy to say yes, um, but I always caution myself yeah. because. I felt the same way going into Wayne's second year. I absolutely felt the same way with Jim Schwartz and even Rod Marinelli. Rod Marinelli, after the end of his first year, we go down to Dallas and beat a playoff game, playoff team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were 20-point underdogs in that game. Um, and then Jim Caldwell, after his first year, despite the loss of Sue, you never know how big an impact that was going to be until the season. Yep. Uh, but uh, – I think what Lions fans should be most encouraged about is that they are doing, they have a plan and the team didn't reach for a quarterback in the draft this year. While a lot of media and experts thought it would, you know, there was so much talk about a quarterback, a quarterback. And um, the second year often is more difficult than the first year. Yeah. So I just caution that because the first year, 
there's intangibles, there's culture change. And, and, um, you know, I look at Wayne's first year, we ended with a five game winning streak. The, the excitement and anticipation was sky high. Um, Jim Caldwell was sky high. Um, so I think in some respects, um, it's going to be harder this year. It doesn't mean the team won't be better. I think the team will be better. Um, but I, I, and now that being said, I'll also say this, there were three or four games last year, at least three that the team easily could have won. Yep. So, you know, you go from three to six wins and now you're talking about, we're going to improve. You improve, you know, three games that could be nine wins if you had won those three last year. So it's possible. And if you get off to a good start, um, the mental to the physical in football, I think every coach I've ever worked for, and it was, 11 of them. I would, I would hear, I would see something on the wall, mental to physical, 90 to 10, 90% to 10%. And it's true. It's absolutely true. The belief, the culture, um, that's why football is so unique. I mean, um, it's not just about the sum of the whole has to be greater than some of the parts. You know, we talked about um, the 96 season earlier. We're very, so if I were to have, before I told that story, if I were to have asked you this, if an NFL team had the league's leading rusher and the league's second leading receiver only by two catches, was he second? What kind of record do you think they would have? 10, 12 wins, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and that's been the response I've always gotten when I posed this. Well, guess what? The 96 Lions had the league's leading rusher, Barry Sanders. Herman Moore was two catches behind Jerry Rice for the league's leading receiver, and we finished in last place. Because football is the sum of the whole, not the sum of the parts. And when you can put that whole together, um, and I think that's what Dan's doing. He's in the process of doing that. Then great things can happen without question. Any stories about Dan back as a player? Because his no, I, are great. I, I just I, remember him as a player you loved. Yeah. And I didn't have a, a close – he wasn't with us that long. But he always – he just looked like a football guy. And he was tough. He played hurt. And um, it was funny because I was researching this week Gary Moeller's games with us at the end of the uh, the 98 season. Or what, what season was it? 2000, 2000 season, yeah. I'm sorry. And one of our big wins, uh, it was Gary's second game, was at the Giants. We went to the Metal, Meadowlands and beat them. And uh, guess who scored a touchdown for the Giants in that game? Dan Campbell, <laughs> on like a four-yard pass. Right, right. Um, but he, he's always been um, a guy that throughout the league has had a ton of respect from players and coaches. And um, you just he's the kind of guy you root for. Yeah. And he's genuine. I mean, that's the beauty of it. You know, walking around naked or, you know, biting kneecaps, all that <laughs> stuff. That's him. Yeah. And if you, you know, you, you have to appreciate that. Um, but as we know in this business, you got to win. Yep. So, um, you know, they're, they're great, uh, you know, quotes and, and his approach is, is, you know, wildly accepted and, and appreciated. But at the end of the day, you got to win. And I think if, if the team, if Dan and Brad stated the plan, um, you know, build that foundation, then you're going to win. I then love their gonna... leadership style. 
as as yeah. somebody who's a student of of leadership style, particularly servant leadership, the way that they approach yeah. leadership yeah. and and the and yeah. the difference that I think that makes and the empowerment that that gives. And Dan, no question, he lives that authentic, authentic self, yeah. and that's I think yeah. gives him a whole lot of credibility. And I think. To be to be fair and not to knock on him, but that was something that Matt Patricia, in his role as a, mm-hmm. as a head coach, mm-hmm. um, he stepped into what he thought a head coach should be like, rather mm-hmm. than who Matt Patricia really yeah. was. And I think that's kind of that kind of hurt him a little bit. Yeah. Whereas Dan yeah. is is truly Dan. Yeah, and I I didn't have the the day to day access with Matt because I had become a historian, right? You know, prior to his first season. But um, what I know about him and what I believe about him is is very, very good and positive. And I, I hope he gets another shot. I really do. I mean, Josh McDaniel has gotten another shot. Bill Belichick got another shot. I, I hope and pray that Matt does because I think he'll surprise people. We met him at the Senior Bowl when the Lions were there in 2019. Yeah. And, or 2020. He, yeah. he was great. He was absolutely yeah, fabulous to talk to in person. What I mean, I was – I was like, this. There's something here, right? There's yeah, really something yeah. here. It was completely yeah. different than what I had expected, and right, and right. I just, I just feel bad that it didn't work out. I really do because yeah, me too. There was, it yeah. felt like there could have been something there. Um, yeah. All right, one question about the Lions, and we want to go forward with with, with talking about what you're doing. Um, and this is a question from uh, Reddit: Have you ever had a moment in which you thought this was not in the job description? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh! I'm taking my glasses off. Um, well, there were many moments. Um, I mean, I remember my second year as a PR director, and I was I was responsible. This was 1989, um, and I was responsible for redoing the local radio deal. Okay, mm-hmm. and we had been on WJR and the deal was up and WWJ was very interested in us. And we ultimately went to WWJ and um, Frank Beckman stayed, you know, God rest his soul stayed at, at WJR. So we had to hire a new radio play by play guy. And Wayne was our coach. Um, and he had obviously been at Tampa where Mark Champion had done the Buccaneers play-by-play for years. And Mark and Wayne had a wonderful relationship. So we hired Mark. And I remember driving, um, listening to the Jacques Demers radio show that was hosted by Dell Conquest. Yep. Okay, remember? I do, do remember, remember that. that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So Dell has the new Lions play-by-play guy on the, on the show. Going to introduce Mark to Detroit, right? So I'm going to listen to it. I'm driving the car, and Dale's, you know, asking him the, you know, perfunctory questions, and and then he goes, "Well, Mark, you you, you broadcast the Bucks the last couple of years, the last few years. You've obviously uh, been there when the Lions have played Tampa, and uh, the Lions quarterback Chuck Long. You've seen him play. Um, you know, what are your impressions of Chuck?" And Mark Champion goes. Well, I don't think his arm's good enough to play in the NFL. <laughs> and I about drove off the road. And I'm like, did he really say that? Oh, oh. He said that. <laughs> and I am dying because 
what are you doing, Mark? You know this business. <laughs> you know, you could have said, well, it'll be interesting with Wayne as the coach, you know. He hasn't had the success yet. There's probably reasons. Blah, blah, blah. No, I don't think he's good enough. I don't think his arm's good enough. He's so, a bum. <laughs> so I, uh, I'll tell you what I did. Oh, um, and maybe this was wrong, but it worked. <laughs> I, I knew Mark would be a tremendous broadcaster for us. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't even spent a day in Detroit as our guy yet, and he's off to this terrible start. So I get a hold of the GM from the radio station who I had just met. And his first name was Rod. And I go, Rod, here's the deal. Listen to what our guy just said on the radio, blah, blah, blah. I go, my boss is going to light me up tomorrow. I just know because if I were him, I would light me up, right? (laughs) You don't say that. And I said, "Um, we got to handle this thing because it, I don't want this to be, you know, the last day Mark's our play-by-play guy. And the GM told me, he said, well, that was a remote broadcast. And I go, are you telling me you didn't have a tape of that show? So when my boss wants to hear exactly what was said, uh, you don't have it? <laughs> he goes, uh, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. Okay. Okay. So the next morning, like clockwork, I'm in early. I get a call from the boss's secretary at the time. Mr. Thomas wants to see you. Oh, gosh. I go down there. Shut the door. Oh, no. <laughs> goes, so, uh, and, and and God bless him. Um, and and Mr. Thomas says, so I understand we not only hired a play-by-play guy, but we hired a football coach. What do you, what's that, Mr. Thomas? He goes, well, I hear from some of my friends that our new play-by-play guy was criticizing our quarterback last week, last night. And I'm just playing dumb because I felt it was the right thing to do. <laughs> And then before I could say a word, he buzzes his assistant and he says, get that GM of the station on the phone. We're going to have a little talk. So he, he gets Rod on the phone and I'm like praying, right? Play along, play along. And he, he basically gives Rod the rundown and he goes, I want a copy of that show. I want to hear what exactly was said. And Rod goes, well, Mr. Thomas, it was a remote broadcast. And uh, we don't, we didn't run a tape, so we don't have a copy. You don't have a copy? No, no, we don't. He goes, well, okay, well, just make sure it never happens again. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh. I walked out of there with my knees shaking. And, uh, and I, I eventually told Mr. Thomas what happened and, and, uh, and Mark turned out to be a great hire and had a wonderful career with us. And, you know, since went to the Pistons doing great for them. So there were a few of those. Yeah, there were a few of those moments over the years. I mean, a lot of them. Yeah. Awesome. You know, going through 11 coaches, um, which may have been a record, you know, during my tenure, um, you know, that was something. And just – but just so many, you know, heartwarming moments and memories of working with – I mean, working with some of the players I've worked with, you know, from Matthew Stafford to Calvin Johnson to, you know, Eric Kramer to Barry Sanders. I mean, I'm I'm – Kevin Glover. I mean, I'm forgetting them. Yeah. Um, just, just the memories that are lifetime. And it's really about the people and the relationships that make it a wonderful experience. And, you know, I've certainly been blessed in that regard. So very, 
very happy about it. And it's it, it, there's no shortage of characters to keep it interesting no. along the way. It's it's no. it's really something. Yeah. Let's let's talk something really quick um, that you do with ninety seven one. Uh, uh-huh. The heart check program, and this is oh, something yeah. I, want, I want folks to hear about this because this is, yeah. you know, our our big thing is St. Jude. We really work hard to to try to help out there, but you've you've come up with something that's really effective and valuable and helped a lot of people. Yeah, well, it, it goes back to 2000. It really goes back to 2010 when my son, who was entering his junior year of college and he played football at Adrian College, um, was diagnosed with this severe heart condition and. Um, there's, I mean, by the grace of God, he's alive because, um, not to tell the whole story, but he, he had injured his ankle, uh, before training camp, um, and consequently didn't participate in any, anything at training camp. He was a long snapper and a tight end. And, um, and as it turned out, based on what the doctors were to tell me, if he had gone through training camp, he probably wouldn't have made it. He would have probably collapsed on the field and died. So the good news is he's doing great, but it, it just turned our lives upside down. Um, he had to quit school. Um, and it was about a year before we knew he was going to make it. And initially um, we were told he probably won't need a heart transplant to live. Mm. I mean, it's a serious deal. It was cardiomyopathy. It was an enlarged heart. So what, what I found out, um, as I just dove into that, that world was there's so many high school and college athletes, um, and active high school and college students that die from this. Um, the athletic component is the normal physicals don't pick it up. They don't pick it up. Right. Um, and there have been pro athletes that have died from it. Uh, um, uh, Hank Gathers died from it. Remember Hank Gathers, yeah. the basketball yeah. player for yeah. Loyola Marymount. Yeah. Um, there's been some current players that uh, have had the, the condition. Um, the uh, oh, shucks, what's his name? The um, Gaines. It was a defensive end that Chicago took in the first round, or Tampa took in the first round. Yeah, back in like '06, um, he died from it. He died from it. Um, so it, it's it's happened to a number of athletes. And the problem, like I said, was the high school physicals and the college physicals weren't um, to that level when it came to examining the heart. So there's definitely a a need for this type of examination. So um, back in 2011 with 97.1, I was talking to Deb Kenyon, the the GM of the uh, CBS group. And um, she told me they're looking for a, for a a charity program, you know, if I had any ideas and I said, yeah, give me two days. (laughs) I'll inundate you with information and I guarantee you, you'll grab it. And they grabbed it. And, um, you know, it's been with Beaumont and other hospitals and they've done a wonderful job raising funds to give free heart checks to student athletes. And they've, they've, uh, I believe by now have given well over a hundred thousand heart checks to athletes. And there's over 150 kids that had serious heart issues that were detected. And perhaps the, you know, the story that's just a good, just as good that came from this is Adrian College, where my son played, where both of my boys played mm-hmm. football. When they learned of, and he was at Adrian when this happened, um, they uh, they changed their whole physical protocol for every athlete at the at the school, and they included a heart screening 
I don't know what exactly different was, but it was of a higher level to detect these type of things. And if you were to call the, the school president or AD today and ask him what the impact of that protocol change and the enhanced screening and testing, he would tell you that at least two lives were absolutely saved because mm. they detected that would not have been detected otherwise. Um, they detected two serious heart conditions. And uh, once they started participating, it would have, you know, probably their heart probably would have exploded on them. Mm. So uh, that's a, that's one thing, you know, through something that was probably the worst experience of our lives to, to realize that because of that, you know, lives are being saved literally, literally um, is just such a blessing. And uh, in 97.1 has done a great job with that and still, still doing it. So yep. uh, just a wonderful charity. That's, yeah. that's great. I mean, people, I don't think they figured us out in the eight years we've done, we've done this, our, our whole, you know, there's two things we try to try to do. We try to capture the history of the lions and, and, and help people, you know, in their current state of fandom with the lions and understand yeah. what's going on. But the other side is it's, it's a massive money laundering opera operation for charities. <laughs> <We're> just, <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I thought I heard that. I thought, what did I repeat that? <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's, 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 we just try to do good in the world. It's one of the key pieces, the foundational yeah. pieces of what we do. And that's, that's great. Right. I always want to highlight when people do that kind of work, um, yeah. because it's important, you know, to do, to give back to the world, right. especially the world right. the state it is today. It's, it's really the thing, you know, the best thing you can do to make a mark right. and make, the, make the world a better place. No doubt to whom much is given much is required. And I think everybody in our world would tell you, we've been fortunate, you know, to have the opportunities we have and uh, the career that we have, and we have a chance to give back. And I know you guys do great things with St. Jude's. And uh, is there a better, you know, charity, if that's the right term to describe St. Jude's in the country? I don't know what it is. Yeah, it's, they're, so. they're, they're really, really close to the heart. Special, special. Yeah. Let me let me just kind of bring this around, because I think most fans don't realize that there's been a Detroit Lion in the Super Bowl for like 30 times. <laughs> yeah. It's not the man they expect, but Bill, you've uh, been to one or two. Uh, 30, is it? Is it 30 Super Bowls that you've been to? I, you froze there for oh, a second, sorry, Chris. Sorry about that. Is it 30 Super Bowls that you've been to? Yeah, I've, I've worked uh, 30 for the league. I was uh, in one, as I said, with Washington. And uh, it's a different structure now for the Super Bowl. COVID changed a lot of things. Sure, yeah. But prior to that, the uh, the NFL would hire team PR people uh, to do a – just a myriad of, of functions and duties, um, but primarily working in the media center. And uh, it's, it's the biggest event in the world. And it's, it's remarkable. And to be a part of that has been humbling and wonderful and memorable. And just, uh, you know, so many, and just to see it grow the way it has yeah. over the years is remarkable. I mean, everything used to be in one hotel, um, it was a big hotel, but now it's spread out over the metropolis, whatever city's hosting it. Um, I think back to Super Bowl sixteen at the Silverdome yeah. with up oh with my people, gosh. right? As the as the as the as yeah. the halftime show, it was uh, the Niners and the and the Bengals. Yeah. But what that was, and, and yeah. as far as a show compared to now, it's it's oh, it's not even close. Ooh. Yeah, wow. yeah, the show's become 
just like an entity in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. And so but, uh, tell me about this, this role that, that you have as the national game rep for the NFL. What is, what is that entail? Um, it, it's, it's been wonderful since I retired from the Lions to stay connected with the game and the league has been phenomenal, uh, to work for, but, um, essentially you're, you're repping the league at, at a game. There's a number of us obviously, uh, that work a game a week and you're a liaison between the league, the officiating crew and the broadcasting network. And what you're working on obviously is what pays all of our bills is making sure the commercials get in making sure that they get in at the right time. Um, game flow often dictates. I mean, ideally you get four breaks a game or a quarter rather, but there were some quarters last year where the game flow didn't allow for that because you're not going to take a break and, you know, Third second game. down to <laughs> stop the clock. Um, so you have to get creative, look ahead, um, and you have to make sure that you don't uh, impact the game negatively when it comes to momentum. And, you know, red zone and different things. But uh, it, it was really neat to be a part of that. And I got to work a playoff game uh, in Cincinnati, um, the Bengals and, and Raiders game, which went down to the last play. Um, and seeing what Cincinnati did should give the Lions fans a lot of hope. Um, I mean, that that quarterback down there, Burrow, is special. Yeah. I mean, he is special. Yeah. Um, and he grew up in Athens, Ohio, you know, home of the Bobcats. <laughs> yep, yep. So, um, so yeah. And, uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to continuing that, uh, during the season. It used to be that we would travel, that, that, that role would travel and be in person at every game, but COVID changed that. So the majority of the, the regular Sunday one o'clock games we do with technology that we have in our office. Yep. Um, and you get, you know, you get a, a truck feed, uh, the live feed from the truck, from the stadium. It's uh, it's pretty remarkable work. Get to Bill's house for, like, for game day. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> What's that? Get to Bill's house for game day. That's what there I'm you hearing. go. And, and yeah, I can I can watch any game. <laughs> I'll bring the I'll bring the beer, Bill. Yeah, no, it's good. It's real good. <laughs> let me so, let me ask you: uh, Will you be involved with the draft coming to Detroit? Um, I don't know that yet. Um, I could be from a league standpoint. Um, which would be pretty cool. Um, it's pretty exciting. That's a that, that's a great thing for the city, and I mean the the you know us, the truth is it's going to bring a lot of revenue yep. to the city, and uh, other events will be watching to see how we do things. And I was very involved in the Super Bowl that was here in '06, and I you know having worked all the Super Bowls the year before in Jacksonville, and just hearing the national media. Gloom and doom. Oh, we're going to Detroit. Well, that tune changed to when the Super Bowl was over here. It was, gosh, I hope Detroit gets another one. This was tremendous. And it really comes down to the people and the attitude. Control what you can. And, uh, I mean, it was uh, Roger Penske was the chairman of the Super Bowl committee. And he is a magician. I mean, he's Midas. Everything he has touched has turned to gold. People don't yeah, get Detroit. He did an exemplary job leading the team. So, uh, so it'll be it'll be great for the city. Um, hoping the Lions are picking late. <laughs> you know, by that time, um, I'm sure that's what the team wants to. So, <laughs> yeah, people outside of Detroit don't get Detroit. Detroit is truly. I've lived all around the country. Detroit yeah. is a special place, and it is truly because yeah. of the people. And, and, and what makes up the people of the city. Right. It's, it's a great, great place. And to have an opportunity to bring 
national folks in for them to get a taste of that yeah. and feel that really, I think yeah. it, it's good for the city. Um, but it's, it's, it's good just for people to recognize, you know, that those stereotypes are right out. In yeah. And, and I mean, when you think about our nation's history and the role Detroit has played in it, not only the automotive is obvious, but what Henry Ford did with the $5 a day wage yep. changed lives of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people and generations consequently. What, what the automotive, what the Willow Run plant did during the war to build planes yep. for World War II. I mean, you know, there have been so many times where Detroit, and just like it stepped up during COVID, the big three shut down and started, you know, producing masks and ventilators. Whenever, um, is there a more impactful city when it comes to the history of our country than Detroit? I don't know. I mean, Pittsburgh had a lot with the steel industry and the growth of that. So I, I feel a connection between the two, between Pittsburgh and Detroit, a real, um, you know, affinity with the people. Right. I think uh, very like-minded Blue collar, hardworking, loyal, yep. very loyal. Detroit's a very loyal community. And that's why, as we talked about Dan Campbell, people relate to a guy like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, Detroit, it, it's great. Um, I was downtown, I don't know, three weeks ago on a Saturday night and it was alive and it wasn't just in one spot. The whole downtown with all the street side seating for restaurants and, it was just like, wow, this is, this is phenomenal. And you have the thought that you just had, you wish, you wish others could see it. Yeah. Yeah. To really show off what we have. Um, Bill, I, I, <laughs> I've got a million more things we could talk about. We've been yeah. talking forever. I took way more time than I said I would. I appreciate <laughs> yeah. your graciousness. That's okay. you I enjoyed it immensely. Fantastic to speak with. Um, let me get my ad in really quick. Don't forget us to join us. Don't forget to join us for the 2022 Detroit Lion Podcast Training Camp Party, Saturday, July 30th at the Uptown Grill in Commerce Township. Tickets are available at party.detroitlionspodcast.com. $35 for tickets, dinner. You get all your soft drinks you want. There's door prizes, live podcast. Dan Miller will be there. Jerry Jacobs will be there. And we're even working on a couple more guests. Bill, if you want to stop by, if it's local, yeah, maybe come on that. in. That's it's a great, great time. Great spot, the Uptown Grill. <laughs> yeah, it's a, yep. it's a good, good spot. And great either way, spot. I would love to come have a beer with you because, boy, your stories, they're enthralling. We'll do that you are, next time you're, yeah, you let's are do that. A, a, definitely a man of of so much character and, and, and <laughs> just history. The history is, is just yeah. enthralling. I could sit and listen to you all night. I appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. Really quick, folks, don't forget about us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Detroit Lions podcast. You get access to the Slack chat, which is the most intelligent Lions chat on the internet. Also follow us on Twitter at DET Lions podcast, DET Lions podcast. It's the only place to do Twitter pants free. Give us a call via Skype, Detroit Lions podcast, all one word, a cost in the Lions line at 929-33-LIONS, 929-335-4667. And be sure to go to DetroitLionsPodcast.com, subscribe to the podcast so we can show up in your ears automatically. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to see you next time with the Detroit Lions podcast. Remember, no pants, no toasters, no hot tubs, no problems. <laughs> Because we're your Detroit Lions and Reddit connection. Bill, thank you so much. Appreciate you for joining us, man. Final seconds winding down. And look at that. How 
big is that? Chris and Case out of time. Pack the bag, start the plane. This show is over. You've had enough of that shit.